This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. Did you miss us? Because we missed you. It's our first episode back from the All-Star break. We're rested, we're rejuvenated, and we're ready to talk some Brewers baseball. I'm Brad Ford, the social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm joined by the boxing Tim Dillard. Rope-a-dope. You can't see that on our screen, but he's ready. He's getting some rope-a-dope in. And the rejuvenated Adam McAlvey. Guys, how we doing? Good. I had an extended all-star break, so I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I. Uh, so you went into the closest thing that can be considered to the mountains in Wisconsin, Devil's Lake. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, Devil's Lake State Park. Yeah. And uh, a little camping. While you were camping, you actually were kept out of the loop for probably the first time in your illustrious career as a Brewers beat writer of some pretty big news, huh? Yeah. All I missed was. Uh, the, all the, the second half beginning, um, Freddie Peralta starting rehab, Aaron Ashby signing a big extension, the first round pick coming to Milwaukee to take BP and sign his contract, the top prospect getting promoted to our home state, Jackson Churio, uh, three wins over the rock, like great games against the Rockies comebacks, et cetera, et cetera. What am I missing? So basically the entire agenda for the podcast but yeah, in good was, news, but you're I'm a professional, I, and you're caught up. Yeah, you're caught up. Meanwhile, Tim, you stayed local. Tim worked. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go on vacation. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I was ready. I can't believe we skipped a week. I didn't even know that until like Monday. We were going to record on Tuesday, but we didn't. Hmm. I didn't know we were going to skip a week. Sorry. Well, we oh. did. In my defense of taking the first three games post break off, I did work over the quote unquote All Star break. Because it was the draft, which we will get into a lot with our guest this week, as Brad will introduce. That's a teaser. Hold on. But first, we're going to talk. The Brewers just had the Rockies into town for a weird series, a weird four-game Friday to Monday series. And then also an exciting series. Adam, how crazy was the matchup against the Rockies? And do you have any takeaways from that madness? Well, yeah. I mean, really crazy. I was in the lake floating around for two <laughs> two days. <laughs> You didn't even watch the game. I, I want to point out that the Brewers scored 25 runs over the three yes. games that Adam was in the league. <laughs> and zero when Adam returned. But importantly, they played in two hours and 50 minutes when I returned, which is, keeps yeah. everybody happy. Pace it's all about balance. improve greatly. <laughs> and they almost came back and won Monday's game in the bottom of the ninth inning. They had their big boys up with uh, the uh, winning run at the plate and then on base later. So... Um, here, here's my number one takeaway from just catching up Hunter Renfro. I think missing him in the couple of weeks before the break was a huge chunk missing from their offense, right-handed power, what he does to control opponents running game in right field. 
and he was super productive. His hitting streak was snapped at seven games on Monday night, 0 for 4. He almost dinked one in in the ninth, which would have uh, made it very interesting there in the ninth inning of, of the series finale against the Rockies. But um, just having him back, uh, all three, the first three games, multiple hits, including a homer against Colorado, that's the sort of production they were missing. And I think that's of everything that happened in that Rockies series. That's number one for me. Tim, what's your takeaway from this Rocky series? That's what I was going to say. He took oh, everything. Oh, I always no, do no, that. Kidding. <laughs> no, kidding. I wasn't even going that route at all. Oh. We expect him to hit two-run homers every time he swings. I'm kidding. No, uh, I thought it was awesome how Suter kind of had a bounce back. He had an opportunity to almost get three out of four wins in that series. Thought that was pretty awesome. Josh Hader had two saves. He bounced back. Uh, but just the team in general kind of crawling into the All-Star break, and they came out with a vengeance uh, the first three games, they had 35 hits. 14 of those were extra base hits. And this is actually the only thing I wanted to share. All that other stuff was prelude. But uh, in game one, nine of their 11 hits were to the opposite field. Mm. In game two, all 12 of their hits uh, were to the pool side. It was a pool party. Uh, and then it was kind of a free-for-all on game three. But anyway, as a pitcher, I just thought that was pretty scary. Like, how are you going to pitch these guys when collectively they're kind of all on the same page that was pretty interesting to watch and uh yeah it was a good series all the way around well didn't McCut Andrew McCutcheon say they kind of had a meeting coming into the second half of the hitters and, and talked about what they wanted to do and rehashed what they did in the first half and and the the message as I read it was kind of take what we're given and I think going the opposite way is a, a really good sign of that of, of hitting the ball where it's pitched and being unselfish and all those things keep the line moving all those kind of baseball offense cliches and it was a really really promising start to the second half in that department yeah one of his interviews he was saying well if everyone's going to be playing on that side of the field we're going to try to hit the ball over there where no one's standing and I thought that's the most genius line that should be said in every clubhouse uh, probably for the last like eight to ten years that's that's the line everybody should repeat to themselves over and over again if they're all going to stand over here I'm going to hit the ball over there yeah I was pretty interested in how the offense performed and just I felt aside from yesterday's game we were finally getting a lot of those big hits that you weren't really seeing in the or timely hitting that you weren't really seeing especially in that slump coming into the all-star break where you know you'd have two guys in a good position to get in and they just don't get in right so now you finally have an offense that's coming together and able to get those runs in I was really impressed by Sunday's game just how the offense never quit I feel like it's so easy for a team to get dejected in that situation where you take the lead back and then it's lost then you take the lead back and it's lost and they were just determined to win that game so they went out they did exactly what they needed to do to get the W they have a pretty big offensive showing Saturday. So all in all, I was just impressed that the timeliness of the hitting, not just the strategy of the hitting, seemed to uh, be back in a good place for the team compared to really what we've been talking about for the last month or so. And I'm not saying it's fixed. I'm saying it that series was just a very good indication that things are going in the right direction and that will be a very good indicator for the team's potential for huge success down the rest of the way i'd say the thing that just to be the skeptic here the resident skeptic the rocky rocky's road pitching is is bad yeah 
you know, and, and look, if you look ahead, they, they got the Twins now for two games. Twins are a very tough team, as the Brewers saw up in Minneapolis. But then you go a Boston team that is really struggling at run prevention. Um, Pittsburgh again. Cincinnati. Then Pittsburgh again. There's a chance to do a little damage here uh, coming up. So, um, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, and I guess why I'm opti- her, uh, optimistic despite the level of competition is heading into the break, there still was that struggle against the the Everybody. competition they should be beating. You know, yeah. so you still had, uh, you know, they should beat the Cubs. They should take a series against the Cubs. And, you know, it's hard to win series, so I'm not trying to d- d- bash them. But they had a couple of series losses against teams that I think that, players the coaches and everyone involved would say they should beat so this is a Rockies team who they should beat and they should be able to come back against because that that is you know their pitching isn't the strongest their bullpen isn't the strongest and we saw that come to fruition that they pummeled the team they should pummel so I guess that's what's optimistic for me in the one bad game there was a very big bright spot and that was Aaron Ashby dominated on the mound you know the longest start of his career has non nine strikeouts a few bumps in the road uh specifically a, a pretty rough inning but overall a very good appearance after signing a five-year extension with two team options tim what are your thoughts on ashby's extension is that something you saw coming or is that kind of shocking that uh, the brewers are locking up this pitcher in his second year of pro ball I don't know about shocking. I don't really know much about the contract side of stuff. I don't think, I mean, maybe people can know when something like that's coming, but I think it's very strategic and it's very smart by the Brewers to lock up Aaron Ashby. And the reason is because, and I had to do some digging just to make sure, uh, not for this show, but for the Brewers live show, this is just left over. So you're welcome. (laughs) Um, But if you look at American Family Field, it depends on where you look. It's probably the second or third most hitter friendly ballpark, uh, mainly because the ball can fly and you can give up home runs. Aaron Ashby, all of his stuff is geared towards strikeouts and ground balls. So 77% of all of his outs are on strikeouts and ground balls. If you're going to lock up a pitcher, lock up a pitcher that's going to keep the ball out of the air for the most part. Uh, I thought that was really smart. If you're given, if you're going to sign a pitcher long term because he gives up a whole bunch of deep fly balls, like that's not very smart, you know. Especially if MLB steps in and changes the baseball every five seconds, like we've seen in the past. But no, I thought it was genius. And even last night against the Rockies, uh, 17 of his 21 outs were on K's or ground balls. So that kind of stuff it resonates with me. And with so much data nowadays, you have to know that that's what management is looking at when you say, okay, are we going to invest in this guy? Um, but he's living his best week, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over all-star break. I mean, signing a deal, getting engaged, uh, throwing seven innings, uh, giving up two runs. And you know what? The runs he gave up, it was a solo home run. And then in the fifth inning, he gave up a sack fly. But for the most part, he was in control of this entire uh, game, and it was the best thrown game by a starter in this series. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by the deal, and I, I wrote this in my newsletter. Uh, everyone, please subscribe. And then the, the the top item was posted on the site on Monday. Um, it, it's Freddie Peralta 2.0, and s- similar age, similar uh, point in their careers, similar promise, and a similar a willingness to sacrifice potential future earnings in exchange for security. And, 
Freddie Peralta, I remember very clearly him saying when he signed that deal, like my reps did not want me to take this deal because I might be leaving a lot on the table. But a but a player has to make the decision that's right for him. And, you know, I, I credit to David Stearns and Matt Arnold uh, for identifying just where these guys were at and what their desires were and coming to an, an, an agreement that worked for everybody. This is, you know, you can't say no risk when you're talking about um, 20 plus million dollars guaranteed uh, and 15 for Freddie Peralta. But, you know, the, the potential payoff is very high and the stuff with Ashby, the makeup, it, it's a pretty good bet by the Brewers that this is going to turn out to be, uh, a, you know, a good deal. And, and Freddie Peralta blossomed after signing his deal. And I think they hope the same thing happens for Aaron Ashby, because when he throws strikes, when he's down in the zone, he's extremely good. Yeah. To the tune of, I believe it was 44 combined whiffs and called strikes yesterday on his 111 pitches, which is pretty high, pretty substantial. The guy well, can get strikes. Whatever the number was, I, I saw there's only one pitcher who's had more in a start this season, and it was Shohei Otani twice. Yep. Correct. So, I Yeah, it, it's he the kid has nasty stuff both of them do and you know i think this is something that is very smart by the brewers organization to lock up a young starter like this you look at corbin burns and now if you want to sign him extension you're talking uh, jacob de grom level extension yeah. you're not talking <laughs> five years 20 million so no it's a different small story. market ball and yeah. you're talking about guys who are closer to free agency those are much tougher deals to, to strike right this one early is is probably way easier easy for right. me to say it's not my money <laughs> yeah i'm sure a lot of work went in <laughs> oh, these are so easy to do <laughs> yeah. and then uh, when it backfires we're like in. why would they do that yeah. But I'm mostly saying that they're yeah. they're very good <laughs> no. at developing pitching. So when you're looking at developing potential aces of the staffs, like or like, and you have these players who are going to be essential to long term success, like Peralta and Ashby, that you know it's something that they come out and start working on, and obviously place a priority on is having that control because it benefits a team in the place that the Brewers are in where you know funds aren't as flexible and you can't have four guys on 40 million dollar contracts you need to have find control in another way and it's through these 50 50 contracts where it benefits the player because it gives them guaranteed money and if they end up not turning into what you hope they turn into at least they still have a good payday but if they do the team benefits because they have that control and locked up so something very that a team like the Brewers has to do. We've seen more teams doing it. We've seen teams like the White Sox and the Braves do the same thing for their superstars. And obviously the Brewers know they're good at pitching, so they're prioritizing locking up some of their young pitching, which is great to see. Can, can, well, we, can we veer one one little direction here? Because I'm curious what Tim thinks about this. Because, Tim, you pitched your whole career hungry, basically, right? You pitched your whole career and had to pitch for your next contract. Sure. Ashby now is in a different position. Does this change anything, do you think, for him, for for him, for Freddie, for the guys who are fortunate to be in this position? Yeah, the best approach you can take as a player when you kind of go through that contract, you see the guys that, that do it, especially early, um, you just take the Forrest Gump approach, right? Like, good, one less thing. <laughs> you know, like you don't you can block all of that out and know that if a problem comes up, you can just throw money at it. And, and it goes away. If you're in the minor leagues and you're kind of like struggling or you go to the big leagues and you go back down, 
stuff that happens, a car breaks down, like the, the life stuff that happens, it's just it's amplified that much more. What the brewers have done and saying, okay, here's here's money, you got the best insurance that's on the planet. Um, here's our confidence. You have access to all of our stuff. We just want you to relax, go out there and pitch your game. That right there is what some players just need. That's it. Like the just to make them that much more elite. I mean, look what he did yes, uh, on Monday uh, versus the Rockies. Like, just, okay, I'm going to go out and throw seven innings. And he did have a few bumps early, but golly, he's just settled down and throws seven innings. If they get something like that to build around him and Freddie Peralta, that's going to attract other players, other free agents uh, moving forward in the next few years. And Brad, if you sign for $20 million, what's the first thing you would buy? I'm quitting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, what's the first thing I would buy? I would get a new house. Uh, oh, okay. You know, oh, we're in a starter yeah. home right now. It's a very nice home. I love it, but it's also over a century old. And I would like to have problems that come with a newer house and not a century mm. old house. What yeah. about you, Adam? Are you, which which vacation are you going on? <laughs> well, my big, my tops on my bucket list, I think maybe I said this on an earlier pod, is Banff, which isn't that. Well, I guess you could spend a whole bunch of money going up to Banff National Park right. in Canada. So, yeah, I would do like a, uh, a super luxury vacation to Banff now. You have $20 million and you're going to Canada? Is that what you said? Well, where, where should I go? Like the Caribbean? I don't know. I don't know. Have, Banff I'm is not amazing. talking Canada. Italy. I'm not talking Canada. I'm just saying. I would buy I can like think a of lodge. several places I would go. I would yeah. buy a lodge looking down on Lake Louise. And, um, yeah, I mean, not that I want to flee to Canada, but it's just a beautiful place. You know what's stupid? If I win like the lottery or something like five years ago and you said, Brad, you have $20 million. What are you doing? One of the first answers I say are brewer season tickets. <laughs> and now look at you. <laughs> yeah, now I get paid to be at the Brewers games. <laughs> Live your best life, suckers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How concerned... Ashby comes out. He has a dominant performance. Uh, looks very good. Uh, some of the Brent Suter comes out. Has a great start after the break. Hater mixed results, and that's especially concerning considering how he played coming into the break. You know, really, it's when you look at what happened for Hater. It was one really well hit ball, but when you saw him give up a few home runs heading into the break. Uh, which are very uncharacteristic, and you saw his ERA bloom from under two to over four. Uh, you know, fans are concerned. So, Adam, I guess when you're seeing Hater come out, and yeah, he gets two saves, but he gives up the one hard hit and that ends up being a double and a run that comes across the plate to score. Or is, is there concern with his recent performance at all still? I'm, a, I'm of two minds on this. Number one, I say no, because the velo looks good. And you can, you can look at that on baseball savant. You can play around with it game by game. Um, you can look at past seasons. You can really, fans really have all the access to all the stuff that teams used to have and fans didn't. And none of that stuff, the, at least the, just the raw velo looks good. The reason I, I would be a little concerned and I don't have a way to measure this is part of what makes Josh Hader good is that he's Josh Hader and the hitter stepping into the box in the ninth inning of a one run game knows he's facing Josh Hader and that jumpiness that gets a guy to swing at the slider or to guess and, and, you know, just be uncomfortable in the box. Do you start to feel a little more comfortable when the recent video you've watched of this guy is of him, you know, given up a bomb in Minneapolis. Um, I don't know. That, that's something I don't know how to measure. But I think that air of invincibility that he had took a little 
you know, took a little hit. But look, but that's, that's baseball. That happens at Mariano Rivera, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of felt that's what happened in San Francisco, right? It wasn't necessarily that he had worse stuff than he normally did, but it was that the person hitting after the next guy was watching everyone else make contact. Yeah, that followed the leader. It was just this like snowball of confidence. Yeah. Yep. Tim, you obviously are the only one here with major league mound experience. When you look at all the things, I'm still working on it though. Still trying. Someday, Adam. <laughs> Don't Some... give up. Don't give up on the dream. <laughs> I mean, look, yesterday we saw a 37-year-old throwing a hundo, so live your best life. No, I was at the I was at the Brewers Live desk. Oh, you were talking about a different 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Josh Hader, one, one thing is he is healthy. We watched him do pitchers fielding practice PFP yesterday or the other day. He looked fantastic. We saw him do PFPs on the field the last two outs of the two games that he threw. He's super healthy. Like Adam said, the velo's there. If I'm going to go super deep, the one thing that I see is going from pitch to pitch. So let's say you're throwing a bullpen, right? Imagine yourself throwing a bullpen. If I said, hey, you got to throw this and hit this spot um, with your fastball. And you throw the first one, it's a ball. You throw the second one, it's closed. Third one, fourth one, fifth one, you hit it. And you're like, oh, I hit my spot. And I'm like, all right, now throw your slider. So you throw a slider, it takes you two or three pitches, and then finally you hit your spot. What I'm seeing from Hader is he's hitting with his fastball, and then when he changes pitches to a slider, then he's missing. Or if he throws a slider for a strike and then switches to fastball the next pitch, he's missing. So it's that transition between pitches. Um and you'll start to notice it too. Hopefully, you know, anybody that's facing him won't listen to this. But when you start to see it, um, and that's a real thing by a pitcher. That's So when you get on the mound, the remedy for this, for most cases, is once you recognize that it could be a problem, you get on the mound and you start throwing. If you have three pitches, you throw them all three in a row. You go fastball, then you throw slider, then you throw changeup. And you may throw all three for balls. But then the next time, you may not. But you have to be able to switch back and forth from those pitches uh, starters can get away with it a little bit you know, more. They can have a little bit more error in that field because they're throwing so many more pitches. As a closer, though, it comes to the forefront and it gets highlighted. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion from what I see uh, from Josh Hader a little bit before the break and then just in that one hiccup against the Rockies. This is the most fanboy thing I'm going... Not fanboy maybe appropriate, but I've seen the pitching staff succeed I've seen them overcome bumps in the road. I mean, Devin Williams had a big bump in the road. And I really agree in this organization's ability to fix their really good pitchers. So if there is something wrong that needs fixing in Josh Hader, I know it's been about a month, but I really believe in this organization's ability to fix them because they're really good at helping pitchers get better. It's kind of one of their specialties. We've seen it again and again on a consistent basis over the last four years. Uh, it, it's the most homer thing you'll you might hear me say, but when it comes to like bumps in the road for pitchers, I just need a longer stretch before I start to get concerned when it comes to this, because Chris Hook and the pitching staff on the major league team and also, you know, from the front office and pitching development side, they have a lot of smart minds that have made pitchers really really good over the years. So it's it, it's not fun watching the best closer in baseball struggle like this because you know what he can be. But at the same time, it, I don't think come September, this will be the issue that it is right now. He's proven. He'll be fine. Well, we talked about what happened in the past, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the future because we just had the draft come through 
And who better to talk about the draft than VP of Domestic Scouting, Todd Johnson. Stay tuned for a great interview with Todd. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. And we're back. Guys, how many of you can go from working in IT to leading an MLB scouting department? Uh, No, not me. It's pretty cool. And like I said at the top, it's a great baseball story for anyone who just has a dream to work in this industry. Like, no matter where you're at in your career, this is available if you want it. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Right. It's pretty interesting how baseball when it comes to development on the field you know players performing something that's been touted around a lot lately is development isn't linear and it's also interesting how incredibly true that is for front office work or I I mean I think I'm one of those stories where you know I didn't work in sports I just stayed a fan stayed passionate about baseball and suddenly you know my professional life and my fan life cross paths and here I am uh, so I, my role is nowhere near as important as Todd Johnson's, <laughs> but it's, I'm nodding if you can't see. Yeah. yeah yes. Like aggressively, that. almost too hard, Adam, maybe tone it down a little bit. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, I'll pivot here. Here's one thing. Like we talked to Todd a lot about <clears throat> the data and analytics and sort of the, I don't know, the nuts and bolts of the draft. But one thing that shouldn't be lost is like the soul of the draft is still there. Like, the scout driving from town to town and these little community colleges where the Brewers have found really good players. We talked to Aaron Ashby. He's Crowder Community College in, in Missouri uh, or Can- Kansas, yeah. Kansas or Missouri or Kansas City, Missouri. Ah, I'm botched <laughs> the Midwest, but a small school. And there's still there's still a lot of um, sort of the. The, uh, what, what you think about when you see a movie about baseball scouting, a lot of that still exists. And, and the Brewers are still invested in that. And Todd Johnson is very into that as much as he is in, into the data. Can confirm it's Missouri. Okay. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. All right. Well, let's not delay any longer. Here's our interview with Todd Johnson. Okay. Tim and I are here with our special guest this week. He is Todd Johnson, the Brewers Vice President of Domestic Scouting. Todd, thank you so much for giving us time. Have you like uh, been able to breathe? Because I think everybody knows the draft just happened. So for the last, well, year, you've been prepping for this. Have you been able to take a breath? Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was busy this weekend as well as we had uh, Eric Brown in to sign. Uh, so we're uh, excited to do that. So, you know, some logistical stuff with that that we, we dealt with. And then 
you know, the Ash signing was a, was a huge thing as well for the organization. So I'm um, really excited to get him locked up as well. David and David and Matt and uh, Carl and Matt Klein did a great job with that. So, um, you know, pumped to, uh, to see that somebody who drafted in 2018, fourth round, get to, uh, get to the big leagues and now get a you know nice extension and stick with the club for a while. So, but yeah, you know, recovering, we still have the signing deadline coming up on August 1st. So still working through the process with the, the rest of the group. Well, you mentioned like three things that I think Tim and I want to get to as we go along here. I hope we have time because we want to talk about Eric Brown. We want to talk about, you know, your guys, quote unquote, like Aaron Ashby in the system who you brought into pro baseball and, and seeing them have success. We want to get into the process of the draft. But Todd, I want to start with your least favorite topic, which is you. I know you don't like to talk about yourself. You love to talk about the kids. But here's why. And here's my pitch of trying to get you to, to start here. You have a story that's, I think, inspirational to anybody, whether they are going into college and thinking about a career in baseball or they're in their career and they, they either they don't love what they do or they just love baseball. And they think about a career in baseball, because let me just go to the Brewers media guide. Here's your professional timeline. Um, graduated uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, where you played baseball, but you had yep. a bachelor's degree in business with a concentration in management information systems. Then you earned a master's in business administration from University of Cal Davis in 2000. And then here goes your, your, your resume. Hewlett Packard, 1995 to 2000. Epiphany Software, Inc., 2000 to 2002. Microsoft Corporation, 2002 to 07. San Diego Padres. <laughs> no, Brewers first. No, Brewers 07. And then, Brewers 07, then San Diego for a year in 2010, and then back here in 2011. Okay, so as usual, I screwed up the intro. But basically, okay, let, let's try that again. <laughs> Microsoft Corporation, 2002 to 07. <laughs> Milwaukee Brewers, 07 to 09. Um, yeah. Can you tell us how that happened? First, can you tell us what you did for those tech corporations and how that yeah. led you into baseball? Um, obviously, always loved baseball. Um, you know, I played badly in college um, for a couple of years, actually only a couple of years before I decided that I was better spent doing other things. Um, you know, as a catcher, so I walked on, they kept, they always keep walk on catchers because somebody's got to catch everybody's bullpits. Uh, so, so yeah, I decided after a couple of years of doing that, that, you know, I was going to move on and, and, you know, I'm pretty old. So this was also pre, you know, pre kind of money ball and, and that sort of whole idea of things. So didn't really think of any sort of baseball career, um, beyond that. So, um, you know, was going to go into it and, and was, a like a database developer type. So a lot of, uh, a lot of moving data between different databases and that sort of thing for uh, really for HP. And then, you know, Epiphany was a, a startup software company at the time that did like marketing database software. Um, so got into that. We had actually bought that software at that group I was at with HP and I liked the group, the company and, you know, thought I was going to get rich with stock options, which uh, mistimed that as well because they'd gone public before I started. So um, so then we actually, uh, moved to Seattle while I was still with Epiphany and started working or started working at Microsoft on that contract as well, or on that. And then, you know, after a couple of years, the tech, uh, revolution sort of died out. And, um, so look for a little more, also had a, a child at this point. So started looking for a little more stability and figured Microsoft was a good place to land for that. So again, doing a lot of database stuff, but still love baseball. Moneyball came out 2002. 
Um, I'd met a guy named Gary Huckabee who is a uh, started baseball prospectus. Um, he was him and I were at UC Davis at the same time. So started realizing, you know, Hey, you know, there is something maybe in baseball that, that I could do with my skill set. And, um, honestly, my first job here was also in the it side. So, uh, John Winborn hired me, uh, to be the kind of the, the, the application developer was my official title to start with. I didn't, I did some development, but also we did a lot of contract work. So I managed a lot of projects, that kind of thing. Um, first job in a baseball operations department was the San Diego job, um, Jed Hoyer, um, when he went out there from um, Boston to take over, uh, they were building out their systems and analytics groups, uh, and they hired, hired me as a developer, similar job to what I was doing here, honestly, but in their baseball department. So, and I was from California, I mean, obviously San Diego's beautiful, so it seemed like a great, a great opportunity it was, and I appreciate, you know, the, the chance they took on me. And then um, back here, what happened is Ray Montgomery left to become the Diamondbacks um, scouting director. And he had been the assistant here. I'd done a lot of work with Bruce Side um, and Carl Muller and, you know, the baseball group on just like data. And I mean, for, for a while there, it's kind of like Carl and I were the uh, analytics department prior to us really having one. Um, and, you know, so Doug and, and, and Bruce and, and Carl and Gord got together and, and, Thankfully, the, uh, the Padres were willing to let me come back. Uh, we'd also not sold our house here or bought a house there because, you know, San Diego's real estate market's not the easiest to break into. Um, and so, yeah, I came back in 2011, just, time, just in time to go to the NLCS. And, uh, you know, from there, helped Bruce a lot, um, you know, helped out. Carl did kind of, you know, system stuff. We brought in a, a, new, uh, a new software group to help us build a new baseball operations system toward the... Uh, toward the back half of, uh, you know, that kind of term with, with Bruce before he passed away in 2014, um, you know, Ray came back over, obviously Ray and I'd worked together and raise a, raise a great person to work with. So, you know, he ran the, the first couple drafts um, or 15 and 16, and then David came in in 16 um, and, you know, decided that he was going to move Ray into kind of more of a, of a overarching kind of like um, evaluation role. And, and I was uh, lucky enough to be tabbed as the, uh, as the scouting director at that point. It's a, it's a fascinating like career arc in your first, can we just go back to your first stint with the brewers when you say you worked in their it department? Mm -hmm. Can can you, what was the day to day? What was there? Like how much were you involved in, in, on the baseball ops side at that point? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, at that time, you know, it was Doug and it was kind of early in the analytics and data kind of revolution, if you want to call it that for baseball. Um, my boss at the time, John Winborn, who's now the, uh, CIO of the Washington commanders, is that what they're called? That is, um, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he essentially said, you know, I had stuff to do with the tickets department. I, we were building the intranet at that time, the first version of it. Uh, but he basically told me, as long as I don't hear anything from Jim Bathy or Billy freeze and tickets or, you know, and the intranet's up and running and everyone else, you know, everyone on the business ha- side is happy i you can spend as much time as you want on baseball so really carl cool. you know carl zach manazian um and then and bruce you know is starting in 09 um or actually yeah i mean when he started in 09 and then the other thing that happened there was uh jack zarenzik and tony blangino left to go to seattle and tony had done a lot of the statistical analysis stuff for the draft with college stats and everything and so I sort of stepped in to fill that gap as well in 09. So I started doing more baseball stuff probably at that point in 09. 
um, than I had done before, but, you know, Carl would, Carl needed something or Zach needed something, you know, from a data perspective or anything like that. I would do it. I would do a ton of stuff with them. You know, I'd hang out in Carl's office, probably annoy him and um, Mike Schwartz as well, who was here at the time. Also, yeah. if you remember Mike. Yep, um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, John was great. He was, you know, I know you love baseball. I know you're, that's your direction that you want to go if it happens. Uh, and so do as much as you, as you want to with those guys, as long as everyone else is happy. How many times did Doug Melvin lock himself out of his computer? <laughs> <laughs> I have no recollection of any times that that happened. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good. <laughs> well, I got to ask the question that probably everybody, all our listeners are, are thinking right now. Did you ever meet Bill Gates? Uh, you know what? It's funny. Um, obviously, Microsoft, huge company. They do a like uh, employee orientation meeting for everybody. And you kind of get a rotation of speakers in your, in your group. Like, you know, you know, Ballmer was there at the time too. So maybe you get him or, you know, somebody else like, and like, if you got Bill Gates as your speaker, it was like, oh, wow, you know, that's pretty, pretty special. And I actually happened to be in the group I was in. We, we had Bill Gates. So meet him. No, but I was in the same conference room as him. Of course, there was like 500 other new employees in there as well so it was uh yeah. not exactly an intimate meeting with mr gates but um yeah, yeah but for microsoft that qualifies as a yeah small i think that counts meeting. if i was <laughs> yeah, in the same absolutely. state i'd be like yeah i'm in the same state with bill gates it's not a big deal what's up <laughs> todd you're, i mean you're i knew where his house was oh yeah because <laughs> you could see it as you drove across lake washington like uh from seattle to to bellevue it's like right there on the on the the lake side there so yeah. Probably pretty large. Uh, yeah. It's not a bad spot. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Todd, you, you know, it's interesting because you've, you've talked about Moneyball a couple of times and analytics and now we take it as just like, you know, this is the, this is the, the, the kind of driving philosophy somewhat of baseball at this point. Maybe you can refute that because this, the, there still is a place for human, you know, for, for scouting for old school scouting and that balance everybody's, seeking that right balance, but just to, on the analytical side, you've seen the, the, the birth of this really in baseball, or at least the rise of it in baseball. How have you perceived like the change in how that is accepted throughout the front office? And, you know, you've seen it go from this kind of niche thing to like a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, so there's certainly um, different levels probably of, of adoption of, you know, making decisions using information, um, or analytics, um, by team. Um, but certainly I think the, the, every team has some level of, of data driven decision-making, um, and will, you know, rely on it to, um, to support whatever, whatever their decisions are, you know, there's different balance between that and like kind of like scouting piece of it, the more subjective informational piece of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'd say the biggest thing is baseball is a copycat league, just like every sports league, right? You know, somebody does something in the NFL and wins the Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden everybody's, you know, running that same offense the next year or trying the same sort of like personnel pattern. Baseball is the same way. So, you know, teams that have used analytics well or, and, and data well to make decisions and drive kind of their roster constructions and other decisions have done well. You know, the Cardinals, the Astros, the Dod uh, Dodgers now for sure you know, Yankees, Red Sox, et cetera, have all done really well doing it. And so, you know, it's a copycat league. So people start following along that way. Um, to to follow know, up, Todd, just what's your perception of where the Brewers are on that spectrum? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, you know, definitely upper third of that, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a level of using it. I mean, we actually, we, are, we have one of the largest scouting staffs still, um, you know, we rely on our scouts, you know, pretty heavily and especially in the amateur space, but even more in the, um, in the domestic, um, domestic pro space now as well. We've, we kind of focused that, which is the other kind of part of my, my group. Um, and, you know, we've given them more, more and more in that space as well. And we feel like, you know, there's a lot of information that we can gather from that. And, you know, on the amateur side, there's a huge amount of like relationship building and knowing what kids, you know, what do they want to do? Like, you know, are they really focused on pro ball or, you know, is, is school a, a really like viable option that they're, they're very interested in going and, and going to school. And, um, and, you know, so it's going to affect the signability kind of um, numbers for those, for those guys. And our, our area scouts and supervisors on in that side do a really good job of, of getting to that um, and, you know, having a good feel for that. So, and then, you know, obviously there's a, there's a fair number of things that, you know, you're not going to get on data, especially the amateur space. Um, and, you know, we use video very aggressively as well. Um, but again, there's stuff you're not going to get off video either. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I think we're a good, a good mix of those things. Um, and, you know, but at the end of the day, I think we're definitely, you know, in the, in the set of teams that probably is, is aggressive in using, in using data in our decision processes. Well, you talk about the the network that the Brewers have in the scouting department. You say it's one of the biggest. Um, do you do you feel like kids can still fall through the cracks, or do you think nowadays across the board, at least in the United States, where if you're good, you're going to get found? Because I feel like there was a time when I was coming up where I was scouts. The, my first Brewer scout that I saw was like, "How come no one's been out here to watch you?" And I was like, uh, "You know, if you see a scout, that's rare." You know. Uh, but with social media and things like that. And like you said, people can, you know, send videos in places. Uh, yeah. Do you think it's easier now uh, to possibly get drafted than it has been ever? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, you know, the internet and, you know, perfect game for their, their flaws and, you know, the things we maybe don't love about perfect game and the way they run their business. Um, you know, they do a, a good job of, of putting the kids in front of evaluators. I mean, they're, there's an event right now in, in uh, Tampa or St. Petersburg, um, you know, Perth game national that is six days straight of like high school kids showcasing their abilities in front of, you know, a number of scouts from every team. So, um, you know, are there still some that kind of like slide through? Yeah. And, and definitely we see it. And there's, you know, there's others where, you know, they're known, but maybe they're not like, I mean, like Spencer Torkelson wasn't drafted out of high school. We knew about him, you know, he had, he had been at stuff, but he wasn't drafted, um, you know, and, and, you know, obviously went on to be one, one. So, um, you know, so there are guys like that as well, that, that kind of slide through um, in, in that manner. But I think, you know, now, yeah, there's like a lot less of the, unfortunately, cause I think that's kind of fun too, to like go turn the rocks over and find those guys. Um, and we still do that. I mean, more in our post 10th group, probably we've got guys that are a little more off the radar. Although the guy we took in the third round this year was kind of the first one that stumped the, uh, the like Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. They didn't know he was. Yep. So, um, which I'm happy. Like that, that makes me happy a little bit. Uh, I'd like to, if you don't mind, Todd, do sort of a draft 101 because I hope this is maybe our most educational interview because I think the draft is complicated for a lot of people. Let me just give you my sense and you tell me where I'm wrong. I think <laughs> baseball used to say best player available. 
That was yeah. the philosophy of the draft. And it went on forever, 50 rounds, I think, when I started covering baseball. And before that, it went on until they were done. Did, right. Didn't the Dodgers famously take like 200 players a year in the draft? Well, they took Mike Piazza in like the 88th round. Yeah, so you could, teams could draft until every team passed. So some teams would right. just draft forever. And yeah. you signed players for whatever. Um, there weren't limits. Now, under the new system, each well, I, I'd like you to maybe explain the system in a way maybe the, the yeah. casual fan can understand because it's best player available, but it's also not because it's this puzzle where you have this pool of money to spend. And, and hopefully you can explain yeah. this and you have to fit your pieces into this total. Right. How, how, do, right. how do you how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I, you basically hit it. So every every pick in the top 10 rounds is given a, a dollar slot amount. And so when you add all that up, that's your pool. So every team has their pool. Our was, ours was just over $7 million this year. Um, you can then, but there's no hard slotting or anything like that. You can then allocate that money however you see fit throughout the draft. Um, so you can spend, you know, like most of it on two players or something. I mean, there's one team that, that kind of went that route this year. Um, you can spend, or you can spread it more, you know, evenly or, or do, you know, and when you have really big pools, like the teams at the very top do, I mean, you'll see them, you know, typically like take like the Orioles last year, I think they took a guy and, and gave him like three or 4 million less than their slot at the first pick. And then they spread that. And like, they took, took some other guys that were, you know, probably first round type talents you know, later because they were able to get them back to their next picks with, uh, with that extra money. Because like, if you call the guy and they say, you know, no, I want like 3 million and you can't even give them that because you don't have that kind of money in your pool, then, you know, you're not going to draft them. Um, so yeah, you do end up having to kind of try and balance that all together. And like, what's the total portfolio of players you can get with your pool and how can you best just like, you know, a portfolio of, I don't want to use that. Like, financial stuff but you know kind of the same idea like you know are you better off spreading the risk amongst multiple guys or um you know really like we love this guy enough that we're going to give him most of our pool um and you know i mean honestly we tended to and it also depends on what we're picking i mean when we're picking 27 yeah. you're kind of taking what the draft sends your way a little bit too and we we're super happy that the draft sent Eric brown our way um but you are you know you're 26 other guys are going off that you probably liked a lot as well. So, um, you know, and then you're taking that and balancing it through the rest of the draft. So, so in the, was it 17, 18, 19th round, you picked yeah. three kids who were very like big prospects going into the draft, like definitely top 100 prospects, including mm -hmm. the switch pitcher that we asked you all about oh, on, yeah. on that day. Cause Everyone we love the great stories. The yep. So that, that his name was, uh, Gerangelo Sanja. I hope I'm saying his he, name correctly. Uh, I'm not even sure how to say it myself. So we'll go with your pronunciation. So he is a Mississippi state commit. The other yep. kids had uh, scholarships waiting at LSU and yep. one of them or multiple of them said like after day one, they didn't get drafted on day one. I'm going to college. And yep. then the Brewers drafted them. And I think a yep. lot of people watching the draft say, why? <laughs> um uh some of its relationship right so you'll you know have a relationship now like with that kid and um you know maybe an advisor as well um potentially and then you know stuff happens too so mm -hmm. you never know what might happen as far as as far as the uh the draft and the money and everything so you know in some ways they're somewhat of like 
um, contingencies, I guess, maybe. So, um, and so, yeah, so we always kind of have, we strategize how to use our, our 20 picks, 21 this year. Um, certainly post 10th is different. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll typically spend them in some fashion like that. So, um, because to, you know, the other thing, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say for, for people like say you, uh, don't sign someone in the top 10 rounds, which rarely happens now, usually teams sign their top 10 yeah. picks. You could, as, you could assign those dollars to a later pick, right? Is that, that is sometimes what happens? Right. Yeah. If something happens and one of your early picks chooses to go to college or whatever. Right. Exactly. So, okay. um, and yeah, so that's, that's that perspective. I mean, the other thing too, now with the changes in, in some of the minor league stuff is like the number of guys we could set, draft and sign and send out has changed as well. Because, you know, previously when you're drafting like 400 guys or, you know, whatever, back in those days with the 80, 80 or more rounds, or even with 40 rounds, um, you didn't have the same limits we do today with the player limits. And, you know, we, we don't have a short season rookie ball level anymore like Carl Springs was for us so so there's fewer spots for um sending players out as well so so some of that is uh, is related to that also but they also have the draft and follow right that's instituted back because that's what I was yes. was a draft and follow. oh yeah okay nice. so you're allowed Manny Parra was a draft and follow right yeah yeah there was <laughs> I mean we, okay, we, we like our call ourselves the old uh, draft and followers. Yeah, we have a group club chess <laughs> match every week. No, they uh, but they did away with it for like yeah. 10 years or something. They brought yeah. it back. And that is very helpful for the player because they can eventually uh, sign before the next draft. Correct. Yeah. So if um, the way it's set up, this is different than it used to be. So it's uh, post 10 um, drafted player ten, from 11 to 20. Uh, who goes to a junior college the next year or yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if they were in a junior college this year and they go back or if they were a high school and they go to junior college, or I think even, well, you couldn't draft a college freshman or whatever. So yeah. So those are the two, two groups. Um, If they go to a junior college, you have the opportunity to then um, follow them as they play through that season. Um, You're only allowed to offer them $225,000 next year though. Um, take and you have until like the week before the, uh, the draft next year to yeah. sign them. It's like, yeah. you can't sign them during their season. And it's like a week at it's like the period to sign them opens like a week after their season ends and closes the week before the draft. So, gotcha. um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that we'll have anybody that'll fall into that bucket for us this year. Um, cause right now I think every, all the high school kids that we have, um, signed or drafted post 10th or committed to uh to four-year school so hmm. yeah Interesting. well that, that's all great information and maybe they'll cut out some of my questions because <laughs> we we need time to ask you we haven't asked you about any of these the picks and i think the fans want to hear <laughs> about these kids so let's do that and we'll let the edit crew figure out what to punt um okay todd tell us a little bit about Eric Brown, because you, you, you know, we know you were excited that night that, that you absolutely. got to you at 27. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric's, um, uh, a, a great kid. I mean, met him this weekend. Um, you know, spent a, spent a good chunk of time with him and his family when they came up for the, for the signing process. Um, he's a athletic middle infielder. Uh, we think he's, he's got a, a good chance to stick it short. Uh, if he didn't stick it short, uh, we think second base is a, a really good option as well. Uh, he's a different kind. I think what a lot of people ask about notice is he has a different setup at the plate. Um, starts with his hands in a in a 
you know, different spot, not quite Craig Council-ish, but, you know, um, probably in the family a little bit. Uh, I think Julio then, Franco. I see Julio yeah, Franco. Yeah, that was a good a, one too, yeah. Um, yeah, there yeah. You go. Tim's and, doing it for those not yeah, watching. Yeah, <laughs> Um, and then, but you know, it, he's always been a high contact, um, guy he doesn't strike out a lot, has some power for his size. He's a good runner as well. So, you know, pretty excited about, about the package there. I think that, you know, he's got a really good opportunity to, to be a good defender in the middle infield and then also be, uh, you know, be impactful with the bat, um, as well and with his legs. So, um, you know, pretty excited to, to have gotten him there. He's sort of not, I mean, wasn't under the radar. Definitely. I mean, he was well-known, um, you know, I think he was sort of showing up in mock drafts around like pick 37 to 40 ish range. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those where, you know, maybe we're a little uh, ahead of where the industry had him. Um, but you know, we're excited that, that he was available there. We think we got a pretty good, uh, pretty good two-way, two-way guy there. The other guy, just if we can, I don't want to single out players because there's going to be big leaguers here and we don't know who they are. They could be, well, you've hit on so many fourth rounders talking about Aaron Ashby. Um, But, but Robert Moore, I think is a name. It's it's a baseball name. His father is Dayton, the GM of the Kansas city Royals. He talked, told us great stories about growing up sitting in the booth with Jason Kendall, who those of us who knew him in Milwaukee loved. Um, What do you, what do you like about him, Todd? Yeah. Robert um, came into the year, like, looking like he might go well in front of us, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. and struggled a little bit with the bat this year happens to guys all the time. Um, you know, for one thing, he's also 20, uh, just barely 20. Like it's one of the youngest juniors in the class. He actually left high school a year early, went to Arkansas. Um, has been incredibly focused on being a professional baseball player. Uh, his entire life obviously has a lot of background with that, with the dad, with his dad, um, you know, very skilled player has had a lot of high level instruction for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, from a, from a tools perspective, he's, he's a very good defender. Um, you know, presently plays mostly second. Uh, we will give him some, some reps at short, uh, to see how that works. Um, but really think he's, I mean, he won the, the NC2A D1 gold glove at second base this year. Um, you know, he showed some power last year. It, it sort of dropped off this year, but his own control, he maintained that. Uh, so we really don't think that there's like a huge concern with that. Um, you know, it was just an off year that happens to guys. Um, and so we're, you know, excited that he was there. Mark Muzzy's our area scout in that area, did a great job getting to know him, spent some time with him after they got eliminated from college world series. So right before the draft, went up there and had lunch with him and, you know, just talked to him about how the year went and everything. And, and that really helped as well with, uh, with the kid and the relationship. So, yeah, so, yeah, Robert so mentioned that there. to us. He, he mentioned to us that it was it meant a, it meant a great deal that that yeah. your scout took the time to to do that. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's, so there's uh, still human human human, oh, yeah, human relations here are still a big part of this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So one more guy, and I'm sorry, then I'll I I'd like to have you on for like four hours if we could do if we, <laughs> if we could keep people listening. But you know, one of your guys, quote unquote, Aaron Ashby, yeah. um, fourth round pick, 2018. Yep. Brewer, born and bred a brewer, you know, came up right. through your system, minor league player of the year. Now, what's your reaction when you see him sign a life changing contract, a five year contract to, to stay here and get the security that like every kid, every everyone dreams about? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, pump for him. Uh, he's also got just got engaged. So that's that's awesome as well. Yeah, pretty good. Week. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, excited. 
uh, you know, obviously we, you know, Drew Anderson's our, our was the area scout then. He's now the supervisor um, in that area. Um, and loved, loved at Ash. We did a ton of work on him, scouting him. Um, you know, it's tough. He's at Crowder, so it's not exactly the, uh, you know, the easiest place to get to and, um, you know, scout a guy at, but, you know, he did a great job on it, identifying kind of the traits that, that we, we saw. I mean, it was interesting because he had like, he had more of the curveball that he still has a curveball, but it's now more of the slider that he uses, you know, more consistently today. Um, you know, body was always great. Fastball was always, was always good. Um, and then, you know, we didn't really know necessarily, I don't think that he had an elite changeup as well. So, um, and then, you know, obviously like any guy that, that we drafted gets the big leagues, it's not just because of what we saw when we drafted them. Our player development staff does an amazing job with these guys. Um, so, you know, Tom Flanagan, uh, Eduardo Brazuela, um, Carl Moore oversees all of PD now, um, you know, and Cam Castro is the pitching pitching coordinator that's kind of been there through this whole thing. And, uh, you know, obviously Jake McKinley has now moved on and became a head coach at University of Nevada, um, was instrumental in that too. So those guys did it. And every pitching coach, you know, I don't even know all the names necessarily that that touched Ash through the, through the, through the years is um, – have helped shape him into to where he is today, which we think is, you know, on the cusp of potentially being, you know, one of the elite starting pitchers in, in all of baseball. So, um, you know, happy that we were able to get him and we're going to, you know, have him here as for five, five to seven, I think it is, because it the seven years with the option years, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so hopefully, you know, now obviously every pitcher is, you got to throw in the caveat of, of if he stays healthy, but, you know, we hope Ash will and, and definitely, you know, deliver on that. And the Crowder connection runs deep because our second round pick this year, Jacob Mazurowski is actually a Crowder guy as well. Um, another pitcher there. So, um, you know, hopefully get him signed sometime later this week um, and, uh, and get him out to, to throw as well. Um, he, yeah, that, that one could be really exciting. Um, I mean, I'm excited about all of them, but like he's a, he's, he could be a monster potentially. Hmm. So, well, Tim, do you have I any mean, questions you like about the hundred? Do you like guys who throw a hundred with two really good breaking balls and a developable at a pretty good foundation for a changeup? So, that'll I've play. Never had any of those? <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, and you pitch the big league, so yeah, you know. yeah, I got there. Yeah, the 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 stuff that these kids are are able to already have, you know, at such a young age is just. I mean, it's probably harder than ever to be a scout in some ways because you're like, golly, man, I, it everybody throws a hundred that's the other yeah. day in a game every reliever that came out through 99 to 100 i mean for like yeah. four innings straight that's yeah, unheard the rockies, of so one of the rockies games right that's, yeah that was incredible it is like it's it's so like the one i think about this year from just from this year i was down in arizona when i was there for spring training and the canadian the, the canadian team a canadian team the langley blaze is down and they had most of the good canadian players go with that group um every year and they come down to Phoenix and they play like minor league teams. And then they play some uh, like junior college and they were playing central Arizona, which is where we drafted Tyler Wozner from. And he pitched in that game and he was, you know, 95, 96, but central Arizona had like three other arms that were all sitting mid nineties. And it's like a Juco. I mean, they did end up winning the Juco, the JC national championship. So they were a really good JC team, but still like, yeah, really like this junior college has like four (laughs) or five arms that are running out there that are all touching mid nineties. And it's, yeah, so it's uh, it's everywhere these days. Wow. Yeah, when you talk to hitters in the Brewers clubhouse, they all kind of roll their eyes like, God, where are these guys coming from? 
<laughs> when do we get from a break everywhere. from them? Yeah. 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 Everywhere. They're Talk everywhere about tough now. to be a scout. It's tough to be a hitter. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, Todd, we've run out of time and we don't get to ask you about the busts. Uh, no draft busts. busts. Oh, we'll talk yeah. to you about the busts next time. Yeah, those are always there. Trust me. They're always, they're lessons. They all have lessons with them. So you have to learn from, from those as well. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. Your, your job is yep. fascinating. The draft is just totally fascinating. And um, it's a comp, like I said, it's a puzzle. It's a complex puzzle that I, I don't even feel like I have a total grasp of, and I, I sit and watch it every year. So thanks for shedding yeah. some light on, on how it all works. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Good talking to you guys. Yeah. And, thanks uh, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. And welcome back from vacation, Adam. there's nothing worse than taking a vacation when you work in baseball because you hear about it from everybody oh yeah oh yeah definitely all right thanks guys yeah todd thank you so much we really appreciate it all right thanks so much to todd for coming on again fascinating story about him becoming a you know the head of a scouting department after you know, years of a career that weren't connected to baseball and also uh, some good insight on some guys that I think fans should be really excited about. But we need to take a quick break. When we return, we're dishing out our stat of the week and talking a little. I mean, the trade deadline's right around the corner. It's going to be our first episode back or next episode next week. So that means that we'll meet, we'll record, and then we'll get Juan Soto or something crazy. <laughs> but we'll try to do our best guesses. Stay tuned. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, where we go, we put the pressure on Tim Dillard, and we get Tim stat of the week. Timmy, give it to us. Oh, I was actually prepared for this one. I love this. Not every week. (laughs) <laughs> but this week, my number is four zero eight. My height? Technically, it's four point zero eight. Four point zero eight is the average number of pitches a Brewers hitter sees at the plate. It is the most in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers are second with four point zero four, and the mighty Yankees are third with four point zero one. When you talk about the Brewers and what makes them successful. Right now, it's seeing more pitches at the plate, getting the starter out of the ball game, and then dominating the relievers. Yeah, and this really validates what we talked to Connor Dawson about a few weeks ago, right? As he talked about how important walks were to their strategy and like making, earning your walks by working the count and getting your pitches. So this is really an, seeing that come to fruition. We're seeing the hitting coaches' plans, the two hitting coaches, their plans come to fruition. Uh, and we have a stat that shows the validity of it. You're welcome. <laughs> every once in a while, every, yeah, every month stat. or two, I Great can stat. come up with a good stat. So there you go. Really good one. <laughs> as long as it's not the Brewers never ground into a double play, because I would bet they maybe lead MLB in the category since you mentioned that one. 
Uh, well, since I mentioned that, yeah, I think so. But overall, no, they're still good. <laughs> All right, Adam, give us your stat of the week. Okay, I'm going to say my number is two, which is the num the stat is two, Tim. Uh, it, it is the number of brewers on the injured list who are not playing in games right now. And this number actually might be three because we need to get a little more information about Miguel Sanchez, who was out on rehab assignment and has not pitched in the, he did not pitch in the first series coming out of the break for Nashville. So we got to check on, uh, on Miguel. He, he may be down again. Uh, but the only other guys that are on the injured list and not playing in games right now are Adrian Hauser, who is in the throwing bullpen uh, section of his comeback from an elbow injury and nearing sim games. And then uh, Jace Peterson, who they just lost to an elbow injury. The other guys on the IL, Justin Topa, Jake Cousins uh, is supposed to start a rehab today uh, as we're recording. Um, and obviously Freddie Peralta through his first outing and Craig Council called it normal, which is exactly what you want. Two innings, no report other than he got his pitches in. So they are getting to a, a good place health-wise. And I think that is um, a good segue into our next topic, which will be the trade deadline, because this impacts, you know, this is one week to go. They're kind of where you want to be in terms of the, the direction guys are heading in. So two, let's say two and a half is my number. <laughs> While we figure out what's going on with Sanchez. All right. My number is 18 and 137. What's that tied to? Jackson Churio, 18 years old, oh, yeah. 137 oh, yeah. days. The youngest high A player in baseball, the youngest player on the top 100s, making his debut in Appleton potentially today, if not today, tomorrow. Just got promoted. Uh, you know, he's obviously a guy with a lot of quote unquote helium, as everyone likes to say, uh, throughout not just our organization, but baseball in general he's flying up top 100 charts i think he's as high as 20 on one of them from completely unlisted to start the season he dominated carolina league just absolutely mashed the ball to the tune of let's take a look uh a 973 ops with a 324 average and 12 home runs at 18 years old so the kid is cruising up the organization and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him before some of the draft picks from this year. <laughs> so who are sub not substantially, but older than him old enough to note that they're <laughs> not that close to him in age. So he left a big impression on uh, the coaches at the end. Of, remember at the end of spring training, because of the lockout delayed big league camp, the full season affiliates left and they had like three days at the end where the big leaguers were tapering and they needed to like fill the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning of games. So they brought in kids like Jackson Churio, who were in, you know, going to the complex league or the Dominican complex. And they just had like a ball watching these kids play. And Churio was apparently quite a character. Like, you know, he wanted every at bat he could get. A game ended with him on deck and he was like all mad about it. And <laughs> council was kind of laughing about how mad he got about, you know, missing an AB in a Cactus League game. But uh, he definitely left an impression. I think I remember it might have been him or one of the other uh, young international prospects, but there was an instance where Craig was on the mic and he's standing next and he starts getting, you know, the in-game interviews they do in spring training. And he starts talking to like one of the, he's like, Hey, 
you want a second base gig in the big leagues? <laughs> like, we got one for you. <laughs> and, like, just, like, they're <laughs> offering it and, like, joking around with them. It was a pretty fun moment to see where, like, they're, you know, these kids are interacting with their future manager. And I think it was, like, when Craig started talking about his interactions with them towards the end of spring training, I was, like, it's documented that, uh, you know, they really got to enjoy their personalities and connect with them. And, yeah. Uh, but I'm being the resident prospect nerd, super excited for Churio. Uh, as long as I don't think he's going anywhere, but the trade deadline, you never know what could happen. He's a trade chip. Adam, we're just a few days until the trade deadline, about a week away. What's your best case scenario? Well, like I was saying before, I think the fact that they've gotten healthier, that they have Jake Cousins on a good path, maybe Justin Topa uh, with a chance to contribute, maybe Miguel Sanchez, depending on, on what his setback looks like. Um, I think it's, it's a bat. If I'm David Stearns, I'm focusing on a bat. And, and by the way, the Freddie Peralta is a big part of what's happening in the rotation that he is on a path towards a, a return on time to be fully built up by the end of the season. Um, so to me, it, it's the, the things we've been talking about center field, I think is an area that they could, um, bring someone in or, or outfield in general. And maybe third base, and it would free you up to use Urias all over. Um, that's not a super deep market. But in the outfield, there's options. You know, I've just thrown names randomly. David Peralta of uh, the Diamondbacks. Um, obviously, Brian Reynolds of the Pirates is a, the big one, probably, that's out there. And here's another one that's interesting to me for the Brewers. Michael Conforto, who didn't sign, free agent, would not cost you a prospect. He would only cost you money. And Scott Boris's agent is saying in reports that, you know, he's looking at being back on the field in September. So risky play, but probably um, lower cost in terms of not having to give up a prospect for him. And a guy who could help you can play all three outfield spots. So I, I think outfield is an area where I would. Run. The one thing about Conforto is if he doesn't play till September, then he won't be postseason eligible, correct? That's true. So you'd have to get him in there. You'd have to like get him in there. And have play him one inning on the 31st. Yeah. yeah. Just an interesting guy to me. And look, obviously, I don't know everything that's happening health-wise, but that's a name that's just thrown out there right now. That's right. sort of... He was one of the top free agents you know, coming in a different the lane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be very eager to prove he can get the next deal for next season. All right, Tim. Tell us about your best case scenario for acquiring Juan Soto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Um, I'm not big on the trade stuff. I just, I don't know much about it, you know, how that stuff kind of works. But just looking at this Brewers team, I mean, they're two games up in the NL Central with the players they have. So can they win the division with who they have? Absolutely. Um, are they talking about going deeper into the playoffs? Yeah. So they are probably going to make some moves. But one name that we haven't brought up is, uh, in this way, is Jace Peterson and what he meant to this club, just being able to play every position. Uh, the remedy could be going out and getting somebody like that that can play multiple positions uh, and put together good at-bats, get on base, score runs. Um, but I don't know. I, if they made no moves, I think they're... I think there's still a playoff team that can probably go deep in the playoffs, but I think you'd be missing an opportunity to make your team even better and go deeper into playoffs. If you didn't uh, definitely probably try to add a bat. I think the pitching staff is going to be fine. Uh, but if you added a bat, a proven bat that can put the ball in play and drive in runs like uh, Eduardo Escobar was brought in to be last season. 
um, I think that's really about the only way you could improve because this team is, like I said, really good. I think it's obvious that the team needs help in several facets. It needs center field help, as we talked about. Ramon Laureano um, comes to mind. Uh, you have... I would like to see another, although Jake Cousins and Topa are coming, they're also guys with a little bit of a track record of injury history. So mm-hmm. it'd be nice to go get another middle reliever, uh, maybe a higher leverage, like a, a co-Brad Boxberger type, uh, Trevor Gott, like something, someone to share that burden. Because the hard thing is when you're in like a tie game and you lose those guys, your confidence in pitchers dwindles. So you want to get someone who, you know, you really have have a lot of confidence in for the the stretch because, you know, the playoffs is one of those scenarios where, yeah, your starters are superstars, but sometimes they only go four innings because of how the playoffs work and the pressure that's on there and saving them for later, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to make sure you have a wealth of guys so you can trust in high leverage situations. And I, I'd like to see another middle reliever acquired. Um one thing that Ezra, our producer, and I have talked about is I wonder if the Brewers could kind of replicate what the Braves did last year and get a bunch of guys on expiring contracts who are, you know, decent names, but maybe not having the best seasons. So you're saving on the cost and the you just play them until you find the one who's playing really well. So uh, that'd be really interesting. Otherwise, yeah, I, the whole world is going to tell you the Brewers should probably get an outfielder that's not unique takes from us uh with freddie coming back i think the rotation's pretty settled so that doesn't worry me as much but uh when you look for infield help a name that i see is like a a brandon jewelry i know it's an in-division trade but it's also a guy who's not a superstar uh, only has half a year control left but is having a really good season so i don't think that's something that would come back where the Reds would hate themselves for giving, like it's not uh, Ian Happ from the Cubs, right? Where if he comes back and he beats the Cubs for a year and a half, that makes the Cubs look really bad. So uh, I look a lot at those situations. And then of course, you know, there is a path to a Juan Soto trade. I I put the numbers together. So uh, no, I don't know that. It's just the fun name to talk about. I know all the fans are constantly talking about getting Juan Soto. Uh, I it would be really fun. Two and a half years alliance with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. It's undeniably fun, but I don't envy the GM who has to decide on paying that price. So, well, just to just to throw it, I mean, uh, our Mark Feinstein from MLB.com, he pulled executives and asked them for their three potential landing spots, and someone mentioned the Brewers. One of these, you know, actual major league executives mentioned the Brewers as one of the teams he thought could do it. I don't know if they have the prospect capital. Shake down Mark, find out who take. said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was Matt Arnold. It, but that's what's fun about the trade deadline is to dream on what could be. But, um, you know, it's it's not always the big, you know, those those big splashes are not always the deals that make you winners. It's sometimes the little ones. And you mentioned the Braves. I mean, those weren't, those weren't little deals, but they weren't the mega trades that happened last year. Right. But, but Again, what, they acquired a bunch of guys with good track records who – yeah. weren't having good seasons so you had like eddie rosario who ended up being the world series mvp but he came in hitting like 190 when he came over to the braves you know he was yeah not a good player that season but he ended up having a very good season for the braves 
So it's it, like you said, like it's just making the right move, not the big move is what ends up paying dividends down the road. And then it helps when, you know, one of the big relievers you acquire doesn't have Tommy John surgery, you know, little things like that, that are benefits down the stretch for you. Hopefully things work out better in that regard for the Brewers this season. Yeah. All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you as always for listening. Remember, no big moves will happen until we hit stop on our recording next week. So really, you don't need to worry about watching the news. <laughs> don't forget to follow our hosts. You can find Tim Dillard at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. Watch him on the Bally's pre and post game show. Look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and read his great articles at Brewers.com. Of course, go onto Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok right now and follow the Brewers, or else we will find you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>